do something with me. Stand up. You are going to learn this because we're going to do it every single class. And in about two weeks, you'll have this down. No problem. All right. Raise your pinky. You can do this. That's what I do. I just keep it down here. You can do this if you want to. This is what the rabbis used to do. They used to raise a pinky, and I'll tell you why in a little bit. But we're going to say what's called the Shema. Say Shema. Shema. It's a great word, Shema. It means, hey, listen up. Shema. Okay? Shema. It, it's Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And we're going to learn it in Hebrew, and then we're going to say it in English. So say these words after me. Shema Israel. Shema Say it like you mean it. Shema Israel. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta. Et Adonai. Eloecha. Ve'chol. Levavcha. Uve'chol. Nefshecha. Uve'chol. Meodecha. Ve'ahavta, l'areacha, kamocha. Amen. Hero Israel. Come on, like you mean it. Hero Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Please be seated for my words. All right. Now, honestly, in about two weeks, it's Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavtayet, Adonai Elohecha, Ve'chol Levavecha, Ve'chol Nefshecha, Ve'chol Meodecha, Ve'ahavta L'Reacha Kamocha, Amen. And every single kid that's ever taken this class rips that out because that's the way we were built. That's the way our brains work. So that's the Hebrew. That's what Jesus said every single morning of his life when he woke up. The first thing he did was say Shema. In fact, uh, culture tells us that the very first words that any Jewish kid learns is not Abba. You know what Abba means? Father. It's not Ima. Not Mommy. Guess what his first words are? Shema. That's the first word a kid learns that's a Jewish kid because it's heard so much. Everybody says it. So it's S-H apostrophe M. A-H, Shema, and it means hear, listen, pay attention. Hey, you. Gosh, there's so much good stuff. I, I, I don't know where to begin. I'm, I'm really going to need the, the spirit to, to lead us in this. Okay. Um, you, I'm going to give you the experience, and I hope you take advantage of it, of sitting in a Jewish class if you really were in a Jewish class, you would never take, like rabbi, you know, listening to a rabbi, you wouldn't take notes. You'd take notes with your head and your heart. That's it. And if I were a real rabbi, I'd say, everybody get up right now and you all get up. I'd say, take your pencils. Yeah, go over and throw them in the trash. Boom, and you throw them in the trash because everything's an object lesson. Okay, who else do you know that taught like that, used things around him to teach? Yeah, Jesus. You know, you know, the, you know the thing in the Sermon on the Mount? How can you... Take the speck out of your brother's eye when there's this log in your own eye. We think Jesus walked around all stoic. How can you see the speck that is in your brother's eye when there is a log in your own eye? Like he spoke with some British accent or something. I think Jesus picked up a big old stick and said, <laughs> okay, right? Now, hey, look at that speck in that guy's eye. You know, people are laughing like this guy's crazy. And he's like, yeah, hey, somebody help me get this. And he's whacking him in the head. Help me get this speck out of this guy's eye. Jesus says, it's ridiculous. Before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, how about taking the log out of your own eye? And everybody's laughing like, okay, I get your point. I think Jesus did this all the time. Look at the birds of the air as a flock just flies over. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns but your heavenly father feeds all of them doesn't he look at the look at the lilies of the field and people are like looking at jesus he says don't look at me look at the lilies and they're like oh look at how they're they're clothed even king solomon wasn't clothed like one of those yet you know what today they're alive tomorrow guess where they're going in the oven 
meaning the sun's gonna rise on him and scorch him and kill him. But if God clothes the grass of the field like this, and it's only alive for one day, do you think God won't clothe you? Better than that. And everybody's like, you're right, man. I'm such a stupid guy. Like, I'm always worrying about clothes and food. And that's Jesus. That's how he taught. It was awesome. So, as I look out at these eight, when they, when they come, seven, and I, how old are y'all? 16? 16? 16? 16? Oh, I got all 16-year-olds. I, I, I know you don't. The, what is possible in this room is just mind-blowing. Eight 16-year-olds. Because I don't know if you know this, but every single work of art since the beginning of the first century, anything that ever tried to portray Jesus and his disciples, what do the disciples look like? Tell me, describe them. When you've seen Da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper, what do the disciples look like? Oh, I'm sorry. By the way, I didn't mean to interrupt you. In a Jewish class, you never raise your hand. You shout the answer out. If I'm in the middle of talking and you have a question, you say, Mr. Dean, da, blah, blah, and you just interrupt me because, there's a spit bubble. Um, sorry, it just happens. Because lesson plans are man's agenda, but interruption is God's. God loves to interrupt. So if you interrupt me, I'm not going to say, stop, I'm talking. That's rude. I'm Mr. Dean and you're just a 16. I'm going to say, that's the Holy Spirit. What do you need? Yeah, go ahead. If you know the answer, boom, shout it out. You don't, over here, no. So I'm going to do that again. What do the disciples look like? Normal people. Normal people, okay. How old? 20s? 30s? No, no. Come on, in works of art, I'm talking about the way the disciples were represented. Have you ever seen Da Vinci's The Last Supper? There's about three bald guys in there with white beards. How old are these disciples? They're old men always. The Italian artists, the French artists, they're always depicting the disciples as men at least as old as Jesus, if not older. Beards, hair, they're losing their hair. They're old men. But some of you do remember. Guys, the disciples were your age. They were 16-year-olds. John was nine when he was called. And you're right, he was probably about 13 uh, when, well, certainly he was, he had to have been young because he was the only disciple that lived to be in his 90s, right? If he was a, 40-year-old when Jesus called him and he lit. Do you see what I'm seeing the problem? He was lit. We can show that from the text. Now, Peter wasn't 16. We know Peter was older, but how old? See, we want to make Peter 50. Why would a 50-year-old ask a 30-year-old, will you teach me everything there is to know about life? Really? That would be like me asking Brandon, hey, buddy, would you mentor me? I'm 45 and you're 16, but I bet there's a whole lot of life you can teach me how to live. That'd be crazy if I was following him around and he was like, hey, sit over there, Mr. Dean. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'd have to call him Mr. Lancaster. Oh, great wise one. It would just be weird for an older guy to be under a younger teacher. Peter was not older than Jesus. Neither were any of the other disciples. Jesus is the oldest one. And if Jesus starts his ministry at about 30 years of age, how old is Peter? At least, do we know? Okay, he's got to be in his 20s, right? He's got to be in his 20s. Or he's, he's at least younger than 30. The Bible moves Peter to being a little older than the other disciples in about three ways. Number one, Peter has a mother-in-law. <laughs> That's Matthew 8. How do we know or what do we know, excuse me, if someone has a mother-in-law? They're married, right? They're married. Uh, do you have a mother-in-law, Ben? 
No, you don't. One day you will. And I hope you get along with her. I really do. Um, but Peter has a mother-in-law, so we know he's married. Do we know if he has kids? Nope, Bible doesn't say so. I think Peter is at least 20. In fact, I know he is. Without a doubt, he's at least 20. But he's not 30. So that gives me a nice cool window. How do I know he's 20? Hmm. Well, and we'll go over this story one day in detail, and it's awesome. It'll blow your minds. But do you remember the miracle where Jesus says, hey, Peter, go and cast your line in the water, and the first fish that you pull out, what's going to happen? You're going to find a coin. How much is that coin going to be worth? Do you remember? It's the shekel. It's the temple shekel. It's the tax for every man. That comes from the Old Testament, from the Torah. Every male 20 years old and older must pay half a shekel every year at the temple. That's a commandment. That's a law. Well, Jesus says, hey, Pedro, go fishing, catch a fish. The first fish you find, open his mouth and you're going to find one shekel. Give that to the authorities for you and for me. So I know Jesus is older than 20 and I know Peter's older than 20. Can you imagine the other disciples standing around? What about us, man? They're not 20. They don't have to pay it. Okay, that's how I know Peter. And then three, who always speaks first and puts his foot right in his mouth every time? Peter does. Do you know why he speaks first? It's not because he's the smartest. Because he's the oldest. And the oldest always gets to speak first. John doesn't say a lot. Neither do the other disciples. It's usually Peter speaking for the disciples. Okay. Now listen. Can I prove the disciples were teenagers? Nope. But thousands of years of Jewish culture says disciples were always kids. Always. You didn't have 40-year-olds being disciples. They're always kids. Why would there be an exception in Jesus' case? Jesus chose a bunch of men. No, 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 no. You say, well, what about occupations like Levi or, or Matthew? He was a tax collector. Didn't he carry a briefcase to work every day? I mean, isn't this guy wearing a suit? Do you know what you needed to do in order to be a tax collector? You needed to be able to count from one to a hundred. Fisherman comes in, pulls his net in. I'm a tax collector and I'm 16 and I go like this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 27 fish. I'm going to need seven of those for the Roman Empire. And the fisherman's like, scumbag, you're taking seven of my fish. I got to know how to count to be a tax collector. Do you see how you don't have to be an adult? You just got to be able to count. You could be a kid, 12, 13, 14, 15, no problem. So we make these people different because we approach what we're going to call the text in this entire class for the whole semester, the Bible. We approach the text with a very Western, and I don't mean yeehaw, bang, bang with my you know, revolvers, not that kind of Western, but with our Western mindsets. We're Western. We're from the West, the Greek thinkers. Now, Jesus and his disciples were not of the West. They're of the East. They're an Eastern school of thought. And I'm going to show you a slideshow that's just going to kind of give us an introduction to Hebrew roots. Listen, anytime you have a question, you just shout it out. Anytime you don't like what I'm saying, I don't like what you're saying. Anytime you say, well, I need more proof than that. I'm not just going to accept what you're saying, Mr. Dean. Do you, do you have any other evidence, Mr. Dean? No problem. You will not offend me. You can't offend me unless you do something really ugly, like say you smell bad and you're ugly. And even then I'll be like, oh, was that God telling me that? You know, I don't know. Don't worry about offending me or interrupting me. That's what you're supposed to do. Okay. Um, this class is intended to reset, reboot your entire mode of thinking, especially about the Bible. 
The best learning happens when you guys respond, either with your faces or with your questions or with your answers. And in, in the Jewish world, your questions are the answers. Really cool. I'll give you a story about that later. But it's when you respond, not when you just quietly take notes. That's really wonderful. Oh, that's in, in my amazing. I've never heard anything that glorious in my life. Yeah, you know what I mean? Come on. Like, best learning happens when you respond. Okay. Hebrews of Christianity. Where's my, my glaker? Here it is. I need to go full screen. Do-do-do. All right. Now, God's favorite picture for humans in the Bible is a tree. I think there's a lot of similarities between trees and humans. Israel, God's chosen people, is a tree. God calls it his olive tree. Now, every tree has roots, a trunk, boughs, branches, leaves, and it should produce some sort of fruit, right? It's a fruit-bearing tree. Israel, God's olive tree, has roots. Those roots are... Say that again. Those roots are Jewish. They're Hebrew, right? Those roots produce a tree. And that tree was based upon, founded upon, the whole nation rests on its strength is in, its trunk is the Torah. Say Torah. Torah. Everybody say Torah. Torah. Okay. The Torah is the five, well, you tell me. What is the Torah? The first five books of the Bible. First five books of the Bible. It's got other names. Tell me the other names. Shout it out. Torah, the first five books. Of the old of the Bible, of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay, they're called the books of Moses. There's some other names. There's a favorite name by authors in the New Testament. They call the Torah Moses. They just simply call the Torah Moses. Now, which is weird. They're calling books by the name of a guy, but why do you think they call the Torah Moses? Because he wrote them. Good. Just like Dawson said. So you've got Moses books of Moses, you've got the Torah, there's a fancy Greek word called the Pentateuch, have you ever heard of the Pentateuch? The Pentateuch means, penta, you can hear penta meaning five, like a pentagram, not that we endorse Satanism or anything, but pentagram, pentagon, what's the pentagon? Well, it's got boop, 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 five corners, right? So Pentateuch, five books. So the Torah is the trunk. And it produces Israel. Israel. Now, Israel breaks up because of the, uh, of the, the 12 tribes of, of Israel. Israel being, remember Israel's other name? He was named Israel, but before that he was Jacob. Jacob was named Israel. Jacob had 12 sons. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, remember all them? Naphtali, Gad, Asher, 12 sons. They became 12 tribes. 10 of those tribes were taken into captivity and hauled off to Babylon. Two tribes were left, Benjamin and Judah. So Judah became the predominant word to describe the people of Israel that were still in the land. Now, Judah, can you hear the word Jew from Judah? That's where we say, ah, the Jews, that word comes from the word Yehudim, the, the, the Jews, the, the tribe of Judah, okay? So I'm just kind of giving you a history of the root. Abraham is down here, right? Hebrew. Then we've got God gives the Torah to Moses, down the line, 
we have Jacob. God, he wrestles with an angel. We'll look at that story. It'll blow your minds. God says, your name is no longer Yaakov, but Yisrael, because Yisrael means struggle or prince. Yisra is prince, uh, one who struggles with man and God. Okay, that's what he names his people. The wrestler of God and man. And really cool in that story, Jacob beats. He wins. He beats God. His name is one who struggles or wrestles against God and wins. Have you ever wrestled God and won? I haven't. I've lost every single time. Okay, okay, uncle, uncle, uncle. Right? Like God could just ding. So, Judah then has another branch that comes off of it. And guys, that's called Messianic Judaism. Do you want the word the Bible uses for Messianic Judaism? It's called the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to the Messianic Jews or the Hebrew believers in Jesus. I'm kind of giving you a little history here. This is where early Christianity came from. What does messianic mean, JT? What's the root word of messianic? Like messy? <laughs> no. Tell them. Messiah. That's the Hebrew word for this. Christ. Christ in Greek means anointed one. Moshiach. In Hebrew means anointed one. So Messiah and Christ are synonyms. They mean exactly the same thing. So if I am messianic, I am Christianic. I'm Christianic. So messianic Judaism are simply Jews who believe Jesus is the Messiah. Now, where did, where, what church do you go to? If you go to church, Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, Church of Christ, where do you, where do you go? Just tell me some. Okay, St. Luke, non-denominational, Bible church, right? Where do you, what'd you say? Yeah, yeah, like what kind of church is it? Baptist, is it Method? Non-denominational? First Methodist? Church of Christ, that's my background, Ben. Baptist, okay. Those all came as a branch or a shoot off of Messianic Judaism. So you have Church of Christ, Christian Church, Methodist, Baptist, Lutheran, all that good stuff. Okay? That's kind of where we come from. Our roots then, trace it back. If I'm over here and I'm, I'm Church of Christ, right? And really I'm a Christian. I, I just happen to go to a church that has that name on it. But if I trace that back, I'm going to get to a big bow that is early Christianity or Judaism. If I keep tracing it down, Actually, wh whoa, what's my history as a little Church of Christ kid, a little Baptist boy? What's my history? What is, the, what is holding my branch and my leaf up? The Torah. the Torah. Are you kidding me? Tell me you don't obey the Torah, though, please. Anybody in here murder? Just go around murdering people? Why not? Oh, yeah, that's right. Thou shalt not murder. Anybody in here just steal things at, at will. I, I mean, I did <laughs> when I was a kid, but you know it's wrong, right? You're not supposed to steal. Of course we uphold the Torah. All the commandments are in the Torah. But look at what your roots are, guys. Look at what your and my roots are. I'm not making this up. Romans 11 is an awesome place to go to hear Paul say, hey, Gentiles. What's a Gentile? Someone who's not a Jew. Not a Jew. What's a Jew? Someone from the tribe of Judah. Oh, good. Guys, there's, try it. Shout things out. If you're wrong, you're wrong. You learn something. If you're right, you're right and you learn something. So, yeah. If you're a Jew, you're from Judah. You're one of God's chosen people. If you're not a Judahite, you're a Gentile. What if I'm Asian? Well, you probably speak something like Chinese, right? But you're a Gentile. Well, what if I'm from the island of Crete? Gentile. Nordic, Gentile, African, Gentile. 
So you're saying a Gentile is anything that's not a Jew. Anything that's not a Jew is a Gentile. Guys, check this out. It's what Paul says. Do, do, do. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where are we going here? There it is. Okay. Paul says in, do you see this picture? I'm sorry. Isn't this what Jesus is supposed to look like in our churches? This is what he always looks like. He's tall, about six feet tall or more. Long flowing brown hair, slightly curly. Nice, perfectly trimmed beard. Blue eyes. White skin. Are you kidding me? This is what Jesus looked like, a member of, as Ray Vanderland says, a member of the Swedish ski team? Are you kidding me? This is far more what Jesus looked like. Darker skin, dark eyes, short, smaller, Hebrew-speaking rabbi. That's what Jesus sounded not. Not, all father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. We want to make him British. He wasn't British. He's a Jew. He's from the Middle East. Anybody ever seen anybody from the Middle East? Do they look like the first guy or do they look like this guy? My gosh, right? Okay, so I'm not saying Jesus looked like an Arab, but he was Jewish. Here's what Paul says in Romans 11. Awesome chapter, by the way. If you're ever bored today and you're in a class, instead of open up Minecraft, open up Romans craft chapter 11. Paul is trying to plead with the Gentiles who are saying, check me out. I'm in the church. We are now God's people. Look at those Jews over there. Everybody look at the Jews. They don't believe in Jesus. Well, they're going to hell pretty much. But we, we believe in Jesus. How could the Jews not believe? Bunch of schmucks to use a Yiddish word. And Paul says, hang on just a second there, Mr. Gentile, who thinks you're so high and mighty. Romans 11, verses 17 and 18. If some of the branches were broken off, that's the Jews. And you goyim, you Gentiles, although a wild olive shoot, you belong to a wild olive tree. That's not an olive tree that parties on Fridays and Saturdays. That's not what he means by wild. It means a non-cultivated It grew out in the wild. Nobody ever took care of it except the rain and the elements. And you know what those olives taste like on a wild olive tree? They're bitter and they're small and they're wrinkled and they're not good. They're not fit for human consumption. Paul says, hey, Gentiles, just in case you forgot, you were a wild olive shoot. You were grafted in among the others and now you share in the nourishing root. What nationality is that root? It's Jewish, it's Hebrew, right? Of the olive tree. Don't be arrogant toward the branches that were broken off, the Jews. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root Great question. So remember the big tree? The trunk is the Torah. Moses, Abraham, the the founding fathers, those first branches or boughs were the ones that were broken off. Big ones. If you'll remind me on Tuesday, I'll show you a picture of a real olive tree in Israel. And I'll just describe it to you now. They're so massive that it's, it's considered the tree that never dies because, and I've seen olive trees that are over 2000 years old and you and me both, Cohen, could not grab hands and put our arms around the trunk of this tree. They're massive trees, huge trees. Those are really old ones. But about every 400 to 500 years, normal sized olive tree, can you imagine a 400 year tree to, touching it. That's 400 years. About every four to 500 years, the farmer comes by and he cuts off the tree at about the height of his head, height of his shoulders. He cuts the thing off, whole thing. And you're like, well, he just killed the tree. Holy cow. I just chopped the tree. When we do that to my pecan tree, it's dead. It's never coming back. Next year, about that time, guess what's coming out of the stump that he left? All these new shoots. 
It's crazy, all these new shoots. And the farmer comes by and he picks off the shoots that he doesn't want because he wants to have it cultivate in a certain way. And he leaves the one. And then soon enough, big branches come out. And you see, in several years, here's this new tree with all new branches, all new leaves bearing beautiful olives. 500 years later, whack! Same thing. And you can perpetuate the life of these trees 2,000, 2,200, 2,300 years. We have olive trees on the Mount of Olives in Israel that are still alive and still producing that Jesus could have gone up and touched because they were, they were alive and growing when he was around. It's awesome, okay? So that's how God broke off those branches, but he left that remnant branch, remember? He left that remnant branch called Messianic Judaism. The majority of the Jews do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe Jesus was a man. They believe Jesus was a rabbi, a good teacher, but he's not the Messiah. And you know what? They have good reason to believe that he's not the Messiah. Do you know why? Jesus didn't fulfill all the prophecies about Messiah. He left several gaping holes like restoring the kingdom to Israel. Did Jesus do that? No, the Romans continued to dominate Israel for decades after. Oops, kind of missed one there, Jesus. Now you and I know Jesus is coming back a second time. At that time, will he fulfill the rest of the prophecies? Absolutely, he will. But the Jews say, nope, sorry, he didn't fulfill the prophecies, he's not the one. Also, he was cursed. He was hung on a tree. He was crucified. There's a lot of reasons that, that he shouldn't be the Messiah. He came from a cursed line, all this good stuff. So Paul says, wait, Cohen, JT, Dawson, before you start saying, man, those Jews, what's, hang on. Remember, the root that supports you is what nationality? It's Jewish. And you guys know, even though when you look around at your churches, there is not one single thing that is Jewish about anything in our churches. Not one thing. Because for about the last 13 to 1400 years, Christianity has done everything in its power to cut itself off from its Jewish roots. Why? There's a lot of reasons why. And we'll get into that eventually. But that's the truth. But I'm here to tell you your faith, your religion is Jewish. Completely, totally 100% Jewish in origin. Okay? And that's kind of interesting. So the reason I'm telling you all this stuff is because you and I read the Bible and we read it through cut off, separated from Jewish eyes and minds and hearts. We read it with Western, Greek, logical, American, modern eyes. And I'm going to give you a sample of what I mean right now. I'm going, to, I'm going to read it and have you read it with me in the Western way. And then we're going to read it in the Eastern way. Okay, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew is the first book of the New Covenant. We call it the New Testament. We should probably call it the, the Second Testament. Because the First Testament exists and is the foundation for the Second Testament. Okay? Matthew chapter 8. Verse 14. I want you to listen. And then... I'm going to ask you if you've ever heard the story before. If you have, just let me know you have. And if you've heard it before, I want to know how many times you've heard it before, okay? Even if it was when you were a kid. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he, Jesus, saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she, re she rose and began to serve him. Now that evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Have you ever heard that story before about Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law? 
You have? About how many times do you think in your life? That was the first time you heard it. Okay. Um, so normally, and I know, bear with me here. Bear with me for the next two minutes. It's for later. Normally we say, oh, cool. Jesus is this guy that heals people's sicknesses. That is so awesome. He can just heal, you know, cast out demons. He can heal illnesses. But you know what that does to Jesus and me? It keeps Jesus over there. And I can look at him and go, cool, look at that guy. Who? Jesus. See what he's doing in the text? Because the text is thousands of years away. It keeps him over there. And he's a great guy, man. He heals the sick. He sets the captives free. He's healing, casting out demons. It keeps Jesus over there. But when you put on your Hebrew glasses, right? And we read the story like we did on Wednesday through Hebrew eyes. When Jesus entered Peter's house and he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever, he touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. Her and him are key words. You wouldn't think her and him could be that big of a deal, but they mean everything, right? We, we talked about that. Why would you stick verse 17 on the end of that? He fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore, literally carried on his shoulder, our diseases. So I ask you, where did the fever go? Yeah, it went into Jesus, right? We said this. Have you ever thought that Jesus didn't just magically snap his fingers and her fever was just gone into oblivion? The reason Matthew says, no, no, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to serve Jesus. Why would Jesus need to be served? Unless he's sick. He's got her fever. He's shivering and sweating buckets all night long as Peter's mother-in-law, through tears, said, you didn't have to do that for me. And Jesus says, I know, but I love you. I feel terrible that you're, you're sweating and you're, you're shivering and you've got this feet, oh, your forehead, it's so hot. Can I bring you another? Thank you. Yes. Can I have some water? You bet, I'll get you water. Peter, your teacher took my fever on himself. Shame on him for doing that. You tell him to stop that. He doesn't, be need, he doesn't need to be doing that for, for me. I'm just fine. And Peter says, mom, mom, that's who he is. He would die for any of us. And then later on in Peter's life, he's going to. It's powerful. You know what that does? It keeps, it takes Jesus from way over there and now Jesus is right in my face looking at me and says, what are you going to do? Do you know me? Oh yeah, you're Jesus, the son of God. No, 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 no. Do you know me? Do you know what I will do for you? God, you'll take my, my illnesses, my diseases. Not just get rid of them. You would carry them for me? Jesus says, you bet I would. Why? Because I love you that much. And then Jesus says, will you do the same? And you know what my answer is? I don't think I would. I'm sorry that you have cancer, but there's no way I would take your cancer on so that you could be free. Now, maybe if somebody had a son with a neurological disorder or a digestive disease like Crohn's disease or something like that. I, a father might say, God, give me his Crohn's so that he can be free. I'll bear that. But that's a father to a son. There's a family bond. Is Jesus related to Peter's mother-in-law? No way. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that change? Doesn't that make Jesus come right up? And now I got, what do I do with this Jesus who's staring at me in the face? Love him. Be like him. That's Hebrew roots. That's the, goss, the glasses that we need to put on. Okay, so we didn't do this slideshow the other day, right? Okay, does, has anybody ever attended school in an Eastern setting? Ever, ever attend school in like Africa or South America or Southern Asia? No, nobody? Okay. Um, there is a, a fundamental difference that will make this 
snap into focus when we catch this one thing. There are basically two types of thinking in the world, processing information, the way we process information. There's Western and there's Eastern. We're going to talk real quick about Western and this is your thinking. You get this. You do it every day. You were born and raised doing this stuff. This is like, yeah, give me something I can't do. I can think Western. All right. What is Western thought? Well, first of all, Western thought likes to be chronological. I don't like it when stuff isn't in order, Cohen. It needs to, what'd you do this morning? Well, this morning I did this. Well, what'd you do last night? Oh, last night. Tell me about last night. And then that led to this morning. And then that led to breakfast. And then now I'm right now. Like, that's how I like to tell my stories. What if I started with, so the other day, (laughs) I'm in third grade. And my teacher is like, she won't let me go to the bathroom. Because I can tell I'm being bitten by ants in my pants. And it's making me dance. And I'm like, "Ah, I need to go to the bathroom. And then... um, And then just before that, I'm in kindergarten. Like you'd be like, whoa, you're skipping a whole bunch there. You can't just start in third grade and then go back to kindergarten. What what are you doing? We like chronological. We like organized. We like abstract. And I'm going to focus on abstract because this one kind of throws us a little bit. You and I process information through abstract symbols. And, and, and things, words, definitions, things like that. And I'm going to give you a little, um, just kind of an example of that. I'm going to ask you a question, and I need you to be Hebrew the way you answer. In other words, don't raise your hand. Just tell me, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to try to catch it. Finish this sentence for me. The first thing that comes to your mind, God is powerful, good, omnipotent, big, Great. Good. Thank you. You walked right into my trap because you're so Western and I love it. Here's how you're going to know that what you just did was this. All right. And you got to do this. For those of you that haven't already closed your eyes because you're in la la land, close your eyes real quick because I need you to see something in your mind and you can't see it with your eyes open. Tell me the picture that comes to your mind when I say omnipotent. Can you see it? Omnipotent. Okay, open your eyes. Tell me what you saw. White. White. Didn't see anything. anything. (laughs) You saw what? White. White. Not a whole lot. Maybe lunch. Chick-fil-A sandwich, yeah. Nothing. Glowing. Let's do an easier one. Ready, close your eyes. Good. Oh, good. What do you see when I say good? Mmm, good. All right, tell me what you saw. Food. God. How'd you see God? What did he look like? Okay, so like a big guy with a beard, white, flowing robe. Okay, Dawson, good. Huh? The enlisted. The enlisted soldiers. You saw the word G-O-O-D. Food, all right. Bright light. Okay. That girl in second period, Charity? Oh, no. Oh, sorry. Yeah, like actually giving help to people in need? Yes. Gotcha. That's abstract. In other words, do bright lights actually mean good? No, they mean the light's bright, right? How about soldiers? Are soldiers always good? No. Soldiers are actually soldiers. There's human beings in uniform that have been trained to defend, right? Freedoms, countries. Do you see how you have, abstract means I'm tying meaning to something that does not necessarily have that meaning. When when I say good and you see food, food doesn't necessarily mean good. Food means food, right? 
Did you see a burger or a Chick-fil-A sandwich? Did you see a steak? Did you see what I'm saying? That's abstract thought. Here's the difference between Western abstract thought and Eastern thought. Ask a room full of Jewish kids. Finish the sentence for me. God is my rock. Cool. My shade. All right. My mother. Whoa. Yeah. My sword and shield, my fortress, you see. Not only is it my, because there is a relationship there, it's always my, but close your eyes one more time. I promise when I say close your eyes, when I say close your eyes and I say, okay, what do you see when I say rock? Open your eyes. What'd you see? A A rock. Everybody says, I saw a rock. Cool. Not the same rock, but we saw a rock. If I said close your eyes, My shield, what would you see? A shield. What if I said water? What would you see? Do you understand that is not Western, that's Eastern. Eastern thinkers think in pictures because the meaning is tied directly to the picture. I don't have to get from a picture that doesn't necessarily mean that. I tied meaning to it abstractly and that's what... Now... Western thinkers, we like definitions. Is God omnipotent? Yeah. Is God powerful? Of course he is. Is God good? Yes. Is God mighty? Is he love? Of course he's all those things. I believe that. Those, all those things are true, but I can't see those things because they're abstract definitions. They're true, but I, I don't have a picture. It doesn't mean they're wrong because they're right. God is all those things. The Jew says, I I only see pictures. So they see a general. God is my general. What does a general do? He commands an army. Is it true? Yes, God does command an army. God is like my nursing mother. He feeds me. He protects me. Is that true? Oh yeah, that's what a nursing mother does, right? So you see the difference. What I want you to do is to approach the text, maybe for the first time in your life, and say, That's a picture, not a definition. God's giving me a picture there. Did I recognize the picture? And sometimes we don't until somebody shows us. You ever seen those magic eye pictures where the, it's all pixelated and you're supposed to stare at it and then finally a 3D object just goes into your, have you ever seen those? They're hard to do, aren't they? You can't just walk up to go, yeah, it's a shark. No, it's a bunch of dots. You got to stare at it for a long time. They're like, look past it. How do you look past a solid object? Uh, you got to blur your eyes a little bit. I, I don't know how they do it, but I can do them, but it takes me a while. My clicker. Oh, there it is. Okay. Don't think I'm making fun of Hispanics, by the way. I'm a Spanish teacher. So in case you think I'm making fun of, I, I make fun of all humans equally. Okay, good. All right, let's talk about Eastern thought. A little bit more. This is the word I want you to tie to Eastern thought. If I say, how do Eastern thinkers think? You're going to say, oh, they think concretely. Concrete. When I say, close your eyes, what do you see when I say concrete? What'd you see? Concrete. Heavy stone stuff. Yes. Think about that hitting you in the head. How would that feel? Oh, that wouldn't feel good. Even a little bing, ow, you know, hit me with some concrete, right? That's Jewish, concrete, it's a picture. It is what it says it it does, okay? It does what it says it is. All right, I want to show you some examples of pictures that have whizzed by you your entire life. This is cool stuff. This is fun stuff. All right, what's that? Don't tell me the exact name, just kind of in the category that it's in. It's bread, right? That's food, that's bread. It's called pita, P-I-T-A, pita in Hebrew, pita in, I'm sorry, in Israel, the land of Israel, Uh, whether it's, you're in Arabs, Arabic, uh, Palestinian, uh, you know, pita, it's it's the bread they eat. But the category is, it's bread, right? That's not a vegetable. It's not ice cream. It's bread. Um, Jesus said something about bread. What did he say? He said, I'm the bread of life. How weird. Why would he say that? Oh, because you're supposed to eat my body, I guess, Lord's Supper. I don't know. It's weird. I'm the bread of life. Life needs food. I'm kind of the food for life. I don't know. 
put on my Eastern glasses and read, I'm the bread of life. Guess what? But tell me where Jesus was born. Yeah, don't say anything if you remember it. He was born in Bethlehem. Because the people that didn't hear this in eighth grade will be like, what? Bethlehem is two words in Hebrew. The word bet and the word lechem. Say bet. bet. Everybody say bet. bet. And then lechem. And you got to get that German sort of huh in there. Lechem. Yeah, nice. Like you're hawking up something on to me. Lechem. Right? Bet lechem. That's good Hebrew. What does bet mean? Do you know, Cohen? Whichever one you know. Oh, I only know the one where you like put money on something that Ah, what does it mean in Hebrew? Bet in Hebrew? What does it mean, Dawson? Bread. No, it means house. You live in a bet. We all live in bets. What does lechem mean? Bread. bread. What's a house of bread called? Bakery. It's a bakery. The bread of life was born in a bakery. Where else would he be born? Where else do you make bread except in a bakery? Can you see that picture? Jesus also called himself this stuff. Do you remember the the context? He said, I am the living water. I'm the living water. Do you remember? I'm the living water. You know, we have Jesus as a baby being laid in what? A manger. And what's a manger for us? Well, a manger for us is this wooden box where you, you stick a bunch of straw. Not in Israel. You know what a manger is? It's a watering trough. Where do you lay water? In a trough. The water, the living water was laid in a watering trough in a manger. Do you see the picture? It's, it's right there. It's, it just smacks us right in the... Wait, Jesus is the bread of life. He was born in... Bakeryville? Yes. He couldn't be born in Vegetable Town. He couldn't be born in Ice Creamsburg. That'd be crazy. He would have said, I am the gelato of life. And then now he's born in Ice Creamsburg. But he says, I'm the bread of life. And I'm from Bakery Town. Isn't that cool? All right. Turn to math. Mark 4. Mark 4. Mark 4. I took some Greek um, in college and after. And Greek is hard. Oh, man, I'm telling you. Greek will kick your tail all over the place. You've got to decline verbs like 94. You think Spanish is bad with conjugations? Oh, Greek's like, I could do Spanish with one hand tied behind my back and my eyes closed. Like it's terrible. It's hard. Look at chapter four of Mark and verse 23 and 24. Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then the next verse, and he said to them, What does your version say, by the way? What does it say right there in verse 24? New Living Translation. You just tell me. Just tell me. What does it say? Take care what you listen to. Cool. Anybody have anything different? Dawson, Ben, Brandon. Pay attention to what you hear. hear. Take, what does your say? Take care? Take care. care. Pay attention. Uh, Let them hear. Let them hear. What does the New Living say? Mark 4. Mark 4, 24. Oh, daggummit, we're almost there. JT, right there, 24. Pay close attention. Pay close attention. Do you know what the word in Greek is? Blepo. Blepo, it means look at. Jesus tells him, guys, look at what you're listening to. Now, can you see what people say, Brendan? Do you have some kind of special ability to be able to see things that people say? I can't, can you? Unless it's a picture. Jesus told stories, word pictures, all the time. What did he call them? Parables. Parables. Look at what you hear. Does it mean pay attention to and be careful and take no? Yes. But the word is look at. Look at what you hear. The Bible is full of... If it's truly a near Middle Eastern document, it's full of near Middle Eastern pictures. And that's what you and I are going to uncover this semester with our our shovel and some boots and some gloves. And we're going to dig and find these amazing treasures. All right. um, What are these? 
Say it loud. These are the Ten Commandments. Would you say the Ten Commandments are harsh, neutral, or very tender and loving and nice and affectionate and sweet? Neutral. Nobody says they're harsh. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. I'd say they're somewhere between harsh and neutral. Like there's some you better not kind of stuff there, right? Yeah. Here's, here's the Ten Commandments, by the way. Um, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. I can just hear God saying, don't do this. Not, well, you know, you, you, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. No, he's not doing that. He's saying, do not take my name in vain, right? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy if you want to. No, that's not what it says. Honor your father and mother if they're honorable. That's not what it says. Honor them. Um, excuse me, Lord. What if my parents are like jerks? I don't care. Honor them. That's what he says. There's, there's force to this is what I'm trying to show you. You shall not commit adultery. Hey, you know, don't be just, you know, don't be just hooking up with anybody. You know? I mean, that's not what he said. Do not commit adultery. Can you commit adultery if you're not married? You can commit sexual immorality, but you can't commit adultery unless you're married. I'm the only one in this room that can commit adultery. God forbid. Thou shalt not steal. Hey, guys, don't be taking stuff. You know, I mean, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's not what that says. Do not steal. I can see a finger, right? That's Western. That's what we learned when we were kids. Do not do this. Do not do that. You better do this, right? Those are called commands, commandments. Do you know how the Jews hear this? It's crazy. Blew me away. Do y'all know what a ketubah is? Not a, not a tuba, a ketubah. A ketubah, I have one right here, by the way, because I thought this was the coolest thing ever. I'm going to walk this around here and show you guys. What is a ketubah? Good guess. Groom, bride. It's a marriage contract. This is me and my wife and my, my witnesses were my kids. I say, how in the world did that happen? Well, this is obviously post-wedding. Like, we did this a few years ago. But that's a ketubah. It's a contract. It's the vows for our wedding. The Jews said, oh, the Ten Commandments? That's a wedding contract, you silly. What are you talking about? Well, you hear, you shall have no other gods before me. You know what we hear? I don't want you to have any other lovers. Makes sense. You shall have no graven images. You know what Jews hear? I don't even want you to have pictures of other people that you think are like cute, you know. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. You know what the Jews hear? Listen, I want you to have my last name, but let's not drag it through the mud, okay? Make me proud. What? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. What do you think they hear? Let's have date night once a week. <laughs> Can you hear God? Let's have date night just once a week, okay? Like, this is crazy to me. Honor your father and mother. How do you put that into a marriage? Uh, there's going to be a lot of us, so let's treat each other with kindness and respect and honor. Don't commit adultery. I bet you can get this one. I want you to be the only one to ever know me intimately. Tell me you, thinking about your future wife or husband, wouldn't want to say this. Hey, look it, sweetie. I really don't want you shacking up with anybody else, right? Like, do I need to say that? No, I don't, right? And your husband's not going to want you just to, hey, you know, any old person will do. There's going to be exclusivity there. That's what... God said when he said, don't commit adultery. I don't want you to do it in your own marriages and I don't want you to do it to me. It's actually tender and very passionate, very filled with love. Can you hear the love on this side? I can. Can you hear the love on this side? Not so much. Thou shalt not steal. You can steal my heart. 
but nothing else, okay? Let's not take things that don't belong to us. You shall not lie. Don't make up things that aren't true and go telling everybody all this stuff. That's the way you have a house that works. You shall not covet anything of your neighbor. Don't have a midlife crisis. Start wanting everything the neighbors have. Well, he's got a Lamborghini. (laughs) Can I get one? No. And then finally, you shall not murder. Look it. I want you to have and to hold in sickness and in health for richer or for poorer until death do us part. But don't you bring a parting of death to anyone else. Let me handle that, okay? And Israel says, okay. This is a wedding contract. If you don't believe me, ask me about it some other time and I'll show you all the wedding language that follows. How God saw Israel as his bride as he will remove the names of the Baal, the Balim, the Baals and the other gods from their mouths and they will call out to God and say, my husband. Whoa, when did they get married? Sinai, 10 commandments. It's ketubah. It's not a bunch of rules. It is, but it's also ketubah. All right, what is this? Come on, say it. It's a frog, right? Toad. Uh, what's going on with this little froggy? It's dead. It's on its back on some styrofoam. You, you might say a bread pan if you're in uh, biology class. What are we getting ready to do to this guy? I'm going to dissect it. What are we going to learn doing that? Can we learn anything dissecting a frog? Yeah, you can see what it looks like. What else can I learn dissecting a frog, JT? Yeah, yeah, you're on, you're about to say you're on the right track. Okay. Anatomy, I can learn its anatomy, how it's put together, what it looks like on the inside, right? Uh, Can I know what it had for breakfast? I sure can. What do I need to do? Slice the old stomach open and check it out, right? Ooh, a little fly in there, some fly wings and legs. Like I can tell what he had for breakfast. Um, I can tell a lot about the frog kind of metabolism it has. It has fast twitch muscle fibers to give its back legs like superpower to jump, right? I can, I can look at all that stuff. Can I know everything there is to know about the frog? Can, can I tell, can this frog tell me who his girlfriend was in this state? <laughs> what his favorite lily pad was? What his favorite song to sing at midnight was? Can I learn that? No. How can I learn that? What do I got to do? Not with this frog, but I'd have to resurrect this frog, put him back together. But what do I need to do? I need to watch the frog in his natural context, right? While he's still alive. Oh, he goes to that lily pad every single day. That must be his favorite lily pad. Ooh, do you see that little froggy girl? Froggy went, Corton. Here's a little frog and his little bubble go bleep, 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 bleep. he's like oh yeah whoo. she makes my heart beat fast that's his girlfriend Ooh, no i guess that's his wife because look at all them tadpoles huh he's married isn't that cool right i have to watch the frog i cannot learn that dissecting the frog now can i tell if he has a certain type of heart muscle by just watching him no can i tell what he ate for dinner last night by just looking at him so tell me something guys is there something i can learn by dissecting the frog. Yes. yes. Is there other things I can learn by not dissecting the frog and just watching the frog in his own natural context? Yes. Can I learn everything about the frog in either one or the other? No. What do I need to learn as much as the frog can tell me? Got to have them both. How have you been reading the text? If you've ever read the text your whole life, just the one way, the Western way. Now, is that wrong? No. It's not wrong. It's not wrong, is it? Did you learn some stuff? Absolutely you did. Did you learn everything you could about? No. So I'm asking you, okay, cool. Let's do the other for just a little bit and see if something doesn't happen. Something cool doesn't happen, all right? Um, ooh, we're almost out of time. Let me say this last thing. Um, what did you have to do in order 
to become a Christian? Accept Christ in your heart. What did that look like? What did you say? Saying a prayer. Okay, what did the prayer, what, how did the prayer go? It's like, um, Jesus, please come into my life and save me. Forgive me of my sins. Okay. Anybody ever been baptized? Okay, what did you have to say at your baptism? Usually it's a confession, at least. Was it? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came to save you from your sins? Yes, I do, I believe, right? And, okay, and upon that confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and for everlasting life, right? And then, bloop, underwater, bloop, come back up. I'm baptized, right? Here's kind of the Western and here's the Eastern. The Western says all those things. Now, are they true? Absolutely. But tell me, does the devil believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? <laughs> yeah, he does. Does Jesus Christ believe that, Je uh, does the devil believe that Jesus Christ came to earth to save you from your sins? Yes. Absolutely he does. Does the devil believe that Jesus has the power, the resurrection and the life and everything else you said in your confession? Does Satan believe that? What difference is there between your confession and Satan's beliefs? Nothing. Nothing. If it's all just knowledge. Yes, I know, Jesus is the son of God. Do you see what I'm saying? That's Western to keep it in my brain. We read stories, we read texts, and we go, wow, that is amazing. That is really neat. I've never heard that before. That is miraculous. I am so happy right now. Look at my face. Can you see the joy that is just pouring out of me? That's Western. The Eastern. You know what they do when the word of God is read? Stand up. Why? Why would they stand? Show respect. That's a living, breathing document right there. And through tears, they're quoting the text. And when something grabs a hold of them and they're powerfully moved, they stand up and say, God is so awesome! Because they're excited about it. And you and I, we're scholars. We take notes. Yes, God is awesome. Paragraph three, subsection four. I want you to feel the power of the text, maybe for the first time in your life. But in order to do that, we got to put Jesus, get him off the table, sew him back up because we've dissected him in our theology and it's good and we can learn stuff. But listen, we got to put him back in his natural context and watch him for a while. And I think you'll be surprised. That's all I wanted to say. All right. Um, very good. Thank you for your time and your participation. And uh, uh, that's it. That's it, I think.